The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. Amen. And now let me invite you to take your copy of the scriptures and open with me again to Matthew chapter 5. If you need a Bible, there's one in the pew rack there in front of you. Turn to page 810 to Matthew 5 as we return to the Sermon on the Mount and one of the most continuous, lengthy teachings of the Lord Jesus. Uh, One of the things that I will say that uh, greatly annoys me, (laughs) that got your attention, didn't it? One of the things that greatly annoys me is when people co-opt the name of Jesus as an authority for a point that they're trying to make and assuming that Jesus would certainly agree with them. And oftentimes you'll find that the person that they're arguing with likewise has a rebuttal that the Lord Jesus would certainly agree with them. It is highly obnoxious, isn't it? when people hijack the name of Jesus for their own agenda. Highly blasphemous and greatly arrogant. And so, so oftentimes when we find people co-opting the name of Jesus to affirm their own agenda, we as the people of God and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ need to be those who know well what it is the Lord Jesus has actually said. No loose quoting the Lord Jesus. No generalizing what He said and filling in the blank with our own preferences, but being sure of what Jesus actually says. And the best way to do that, of course, is to just see what He says. To know from the Scriptures Himself what it is the Lord Jesus speaks to us. One of the beautiful things about the Sermon on the Mount is that it is a wonderfully lengthy section One of the major blocks of Matthew's Gospel in which the Lord Jesus sits down and says to His people, here's what I have to say. And when He says what He has to say, it is especially then what we give attention to and realize that if Jesus is going to spend lengthy portions of time dealing with particular subjects, then those things must really matter. We need to give attention to them. We come this morning as we have been working through the Sermon on the Mount and these various topics to the issues of oaths. You see at verse 33 the heading under oaths. Jesus is going to be addressing the words that we use and the promises that we make and the way we make promises because He wants His disciples to be those who are truth-tellers and representative of righteousness with the words that they use. We need to know that. Our world needs to know that. We cannot expect from the world around us to be upright in speech all the time. We might want to expect that generally, but we have all been on the receiving end of mischievous and misleading notions of other people's words. But the Lord Jesus wants us as His disciples to be those who are walking and speaking truth. So, we want to hear what He has to say to us. And so let's ask God's blessing upon the Word and we will hear it together. Let's pray. Father, we turn to the Scriptures, thankful that there You reveal Yourself to us in this special way. Lord, we can look to the skies and realize that there's a Creator. We can look to plants and animals and realize the, the wonderful intricacies and diversity of the created order. But yet, it is only in the Scriptures where You speak to us audibly, where You reveal Your specific will to us that we might know You. And so, Father, I pray 
that we might go with those first disciples to ascend the mountain, to sit at the feet of the Lord Jesus, and so hear Him teach us this morning. So we pray by Your Spirit, O Lord, speak to us, for Your servants are ready to hear, illuminate our minds that we might understand. We pray in Jesus' strong name. Amen. And now hear the Word of God from Matthew chapter 5 at verse 33 through 37. This is the Word of God. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God abides forever. And so let us continue to give attention to what the Lord Jesus speaks to us here. Now, again, Jesus is telling us exactly what He wants us to know as His disciples. And the big picture of what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount, I'm continually calling your attention back to verse 17 of chapter 5. Matthew 5, verse 17, Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus is not opposed to the law of God, when in fact what He wants, verse 20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So what does it look like to be a religious person in Jesus' day? might look somewhat similar to people's perception of what it looks like to be a religious person in this day and age as well. Jesus is constantly speaking about the Pharisees and the scribes. They were the religious class. They were the people who were, if you like, professionally religious. And they were famous for their impeccable observance of the law of God externally. They wanted everybody to look at them and see their observance of all of the commandments of God. And when Jesus comes and says to his disciples, I want your righteousness, I want your spiritual life to be better than theirs, the first reaction that the disciples would have had was, we can't do that. Nobody can be more religious than they. They're the most spiritual of all people. But the important point in that is that Jesus doesn't want His disciples to be those who are only focused on external rule-keeping so that they can be seen as religious in other people's eyes. And so He wants the disciples to surpass the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, not just in external observance, but rather internal sincerity. A true sincerity that sees God's commandments not as just a legal observance, but an issue of the heart. That's why what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is saying, you have heard it said, but here's what I'm saying even more. And he takes these issues and then drives them to the heart. And what we've seen so far in this Sermon on the Mount 
is that Jesus is saying that murder is not just an external act. It can be an internal act of your heart whereby you hate your brother and therefore murder them. Or the lust that you have in your heart is adultery, not just the physical act. He is taking external realities and then driving them internally because he wants his disciples to be those who walk in sincerity before God in their observance of their religious life. And the reason why this is so important, again, because Jesus is contrasting true disciples to this fake religious life, to this sham of a religious observance that the Pharisees were famous for. Another good example that the Pharisees were famous for, right, is that the law of God would tell us to love our neighbor, right? The Pharisees would say, well, come on, who's my neighbor actually, right? Neighbor is such a narrow term, isn't it? And that's why Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan to emphasize that your neighbor is not just your immediate geographic proximity person who lives next door to you, but the other person that is made in the image of God which is therefore all people. Rather than this narrow sense of definition, Jesus is moving to a wide sense of understanding that the law of God is to be received and practiced in truth. That's why every single one of these sections, these six teaching blocks in Matthew 5, has Jesus saying, you've heard, but I say. And in that he is contrasting the tradition of the Pharisees with the true application of the law that Jesus is teaching. So, we see it again, don't we? With another topic. We see Jesus addressing oaths. Look again at verse 33. Jesus says, again, you've heard it that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. Now, it was normal in Jesus' day for people to take oaths and vows. Now, you might hear those words interchangeably. I realize that we don't think about the word oath very much. The word vow might make more sense to us immediately. But in the Bible, oath and vow are both used, and they generally refer to separate things. An oath is what you would make between two parties on a horizontal level. Another person. An oath would be a promise between two human parties. A vow would rather have a vertical dimension, a human making a promise to God. And so generally speaking, that's the difference between an oath and a vow. But oftentimes people use these terms interchangeably. An oath is a horizontal, a vow is a vertical. And I just remember that because a V is like an arrow and I think about it pointing. Is that helpful? I don't know. But an oath and a vow is different. Well, according to the Old Testament... We were not to swear oaths by the Lord's name. That's what Jesus is addressing. You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. That's in verse 33. And what the Pharisees would do is they would say, we're not supposed to swear by God's name. But that doesn't mean we can't swear by other things. In fact, we'll swear by all sorts of things. And where the prohibition against vows was intended to protect integrity... The Pharisee says, well, we can make an oath that will give us a back door out of it so we don't have to keep our promises. So, there's several famous examples of this kind of abuse and misapplication. Basically, the rabbis would be teaching that an oath could only be binding if it's made in God's name. 
But you can make an oath, not in God's name, and it could be binding or not depending on what you meant. So for example, you could swear by your own life, or you could swear on your neighbor's life. You could swear on your health, or you could swear on some object. And if you did that, it doesn't matter if you broke the oath. And one of the most famous ways that the rabbis did this is that they would swear by my beard. Okay, so if you've ever heard that, that's where that comes from, by my beard. And the reason why this was so popular is because the oral tradition of the Pharisees had an entire section devoted to the idea that if you swear by Jerusalem, it's not binding, but if you swear toward Jerusalem, it is binding. So you say, that doesn't make any sense, and that's exactly the point, because it produces this moral schizophrenia that, devolt, de, that results in a devaluing of integrity altogether, which is essentially a religious version of crossing your fingers behind your back as you say something, right? doesn't make any sense. And so in Jesus' day, the swearing of oaths had degenerated into this system where you could or couldn't lie depending on how you made your oath. And what does Jesus have to say to that? Okay, that's what this section is talking about. Jesus is particularly addressing that kind of mentality with regard to making promises with an intention to get around your commitment. And so Jesus says, in light of that mentality, again, verse 34, don't take an oath at all. Don't take an oath at all. And what Jesus is doing is here is he wants to remove the artificial distinction that people would often have between oaths that you could break and oaths that you couldn't break. That's what he's getting at. He's addressing the Pharisees' particular understanding of oath-taking. But we should ask this question of Jesus. And, and this is somewhat of a difficult way of going about this because you see in verse 34 Jesus saying, don't take an oath at all. And we should ask the question, does that mean that oaths or promises between parties have no place in the Christian life? When Jesus says in verse 34, do not take an oath at all, does he therefore mean exactly that? Now, let's, we're asking that question. There are some religious traditions inside the Christian umbrella, if you like, that do believe that. That there should be no oaths taken. For example, the Quakers. The Quakers will not take any sort of civil or ecclesiastical oath because they think that Jesus is teaching here that no oath in any circumstance whatsoever. Now, I don't know why, but I've been on an American history kick. And as I thought about this, you might be interested to know that Article 2, Section 1 of the Constitution, in which the president is supposed to swear, which is an oath, has a backdoor clause in the Constitution for not swearing, but rather affirming so as not to violate the Quaker conscience that emerges from this text. And Franklin Pierce didn't swear, he affirmed. And the only Quaker presidents, Richard Nixon and Herbert Hoover, did swear, which is interesting. Nevertheless, what Jesus is teaching here is not a universal prohibition about all oaths altogether. He is prohibiting the kind of oath swearing that was present in the teaching of the Pharisees. Be very clear about that. Because in the Old Testament, 
You find all manner of believing people swearing oaths. You don't have to go far in the Scriptures before you find the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, making oaths, making vows particularly to God. And in the New Testament, in Romans 9 and in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul makes oaths to others. And throughout the book of Acts, we find the apostles swearing truths. And, also importantly, we find in Matthew 26, the Lord Jesus Himself swears by oath. In Matthew 26, Jesus is in that kangaroo court before the high priest, and the high priest is asking him all sorts of questions, and the high priest says, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so the high priest puts Jesus, if you like, under oath by a question that he asks, and the Lord Jesus doesn't respond by saying, now you know you're not supposed to swear by oath. Instead, he says... You have said, nevertheless, I tell you, you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. The Lord Jesus himself answers under oath. And so therefore, what Jesus is saying in Matthew 5 is not a universal prohibition against all taking or giving civil and religious oaths. Again, Jesus is addressing the pharisaical, legalistic, external way of swearing oaths, and he says two things about it. First of all, he says that type of mentality that says one things in a duplicitous way just to get around fulfillment, he says it's utter hypocrisy. It is total hypocrisy. That's why he says, he goes on to say, don't take an oath and all either by heaven for it is the throne of God, or by earth, verse 35, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And don't take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. What he's saying is that type of mentality is hypocrisy because heaven belongs to God, and earth belongs to God, and Jerusalem belongs to God, and your hairs are God's. You can dye your hair, right? But you do not have sovereign authority over your head, Jesus is saying there is no promise that you can make, no word that you can speak that is not in the presence of God. So just because you choose to use God's name in your oath or not doesn't make it a candidate for being broken. Everything that you say is before God. Every promise, every word, every thought, it's all before God. God is always watching. He's always hearing. He's always present. He is omnipresent in that sense. And so don't think, Pharisees, by your little religious scheming that you can work your way out of oaths. That's utter hypocrisy, Jesus is saying. But he is also saying, not only is it hypocritical, it is also deep-seated dishonesty because it gives the appearance of a serious commitment with a hidden intention to deceive. A false oath plants an intentional back door and reveals that you have a duplicitous heart and Jesus is going after this lack of moral integrity. And so he says, don't swear by heaven. Don't swear by earth. Don't swear, he doesn't say this, but don't swear on your grandmother's grave. Don't do those things. Instead, Build your life upon truthfulness and an honest speech in such a way that you don't have to go about making all these silly oaths. 
People will learn by your reputation that you mean what you say by you keeping your word. These frivolous oaths are unnecessary. So Jesus says, verse 37, let what you say simply be yes or no. Just answer the question. Now, we're all guilty of not being clear when we answer questions at times. So that your yes doesn't mean kind of. And your no doesn't mean most of the time not. Your yes means yes and your no means no. And James picks up on that same teaching in chapter 5. Jesus wants his sincere and faithful disciples to be those who don't have to go about making these strange and unordinate promises, unnecessary promises and oaths. Just speak, Jesus says. Jesus is opposed, he's opposing to equivocal speech, ambiguous language that is intended to conceal the truth. Jesus is opposing all that sorts of speech. You don't need to take an oath, Jesus says. Just talk straight. So what does, what does that mean for us? It's very clear, I hope. Jesus' point is quite clear. And so both in terms of our human relationships, the promises that we make, the oaths that we make, and the vows that we make, our vertical promises, we should be those who are truth-tellers. So what are some of the vows and oaths that you have made in your life? And are you keeping them? And are you honest by them? Think of, think of maybe a few of them, especially in the context of the church. When parents come to the sacrament of baptism administered to their infants, they make solemn vows before God and the church that they will nurture this child in the loving admonition of the Lord and so bring them up in the context of the covenant community. Parents, are you keeping the baptismal vows that you have made before God? Or perhaps if we are baptized as adults later on, having never been baptized as children, coming to Christ by faith, we make vows to the Lord. We make vows in a wedding ceremony. Promising in a vow, not ultimately to the other person, but to God himself, that you will be faithful to your spouse. Or perhaps another sacramental illustration, when you come to the Lord's table, the Lord's Supper, which... Lord willing, we will have next week. When we come to the Lord's Supper, we are engaging in a process of promise-making. As the Lord Jesus says to us, I will be faithful to you, and we say to Him, yes, Lord, and I to you as well. And are we keeping these oaths and promises? Well, two things we should say about that. Two things that we should say to our own hearts when we realize that there are times when our hearts have been divided and we have been intentionally duplicitous lying. Jesus' words are a reminder to us, aren't they, that we need the grace of God to spare us from our sins in which we are guilty of. Right? Our sins of lying which lock us into patterns of untruth. Right? And I forgive the presidential illustrations again and again, but it was honest Abe Lincoln that said this, no man has a good enough memory to be a good enough liar. Because lies catch you, right? You lie and you have to lie and you have to lie and you don't remember what you were lying about. It entangles you and then destroys you. Destroys your relationships, destroys your family. It breaks down the capacity to trust. 
lies wrap around you and other people and it lead to self-delusion and ultimately isolation and rejection. Christ is reminding us here that the patterns of lying teach us that we're sinners. And rather than say, well, you didn't mean that, we simply and humbly sit under the Lord Jesus' words and say, Lord, I have sinned and I have lied. And the fact that we have lied and the fact that we are a sinner reminds us that we need a Savior. And He stands before us in His grace to say, I can deliver you from that dominion that's constantly entangling you. You don't have to live in darkness and you don't have to live by a lie. By my name, you can come out of that and be free. So His words remind us to repent, don't they? But His words also remind us that even when we are sincerely attempting to live for Christ, and even when we are sincerely attempting to, to live in righteousness, we're not perfect. That we are not fully sanctified and we are not free from sin and we continue to struggle with the sins of our tongue and they wreak havoc in our life. And it reminds us that we need to grow. That not only do we need to repent, but we need to grow. That we need the sanctifying work of the Spirit of God in our life to turn us back from the ways in which we have walked, that we might walk in Christ's ways as we sit under the Lord Jesus' teaching and not try to wiggle out of it as the Pharisees were famous to do, but rather to simply say, Lord, you're right, and I agree, and so help me to grow. Deliver me from my struggles that I might live in righteousness. Christ's words diagnose our condition they diagnose our sin and remind us of our need to grow in grace. You know, it is oftentimes the things that Jesus says that makes us most uncomfortable, that make us wiggle the most. It's exactly then when we need to hear them the most as well. That we fall short, that we need to live a life of repentance and a life of growth, striving to honor the King who speaks to us and says, if you would be my true disciples, simply speak and let it be true. And may that be true of us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the clarity of it. And we thank you Lord, that by your spirit you help us to apply it. And so we pray that you would show us mercy in that sense. Lord, we repent of our divided hearts and ask your mercy upon us. May we as your people live in truth so that when we speak truth, it would not be soiled by a testimony of previous lie. Lord, have mercy upon us, we pray in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.